1: One in every 59 children is diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, according to a 2018 report by the Centers for Disease Control. Those with autism have difficulty with cognitive empathy, the ability to read emotions in other people. They may have a harder time with social interactions. One of the theories as to why this occurs involves testosterone. The belief has been that since males are four times more likely to be diagnosed with autism than females, according to the CDC... Testosterone plays a role in decreasing the inability to read others. But in one of the largest trials of its kind on the subject done in California and in Ontario, testosterone administration doesn't impair cognitive empathy. Another theory linking the relationship between cognitive empathy and the ratio between the length of our second digit and our ring finger was also proven incorrect. Gideon Nave is an assistant professor of marketing here at the Wharton School. He joins me in studio. And Amos Nadler is a visiting professor of economics at the University of Toronto. He joins me on the phone. There are two of the researchers involved in this study, which appears in the journal Proceeding of uh, the Royal Society B. It is titled, Does Testosterone Impair Men's Cognitive Empathy? Evidence from Two Large-Scale Randomized Control Trials. Gideon, great to see you again. Thank you for coming in. Hey, Dan. Always a pleasure to be here. Uh, Amos, great to have you with us today.
0: Hey, good morning. Good to be here again.
1: Thank you. So, so Amos, I, I guess this theory is tied to something that, called extreme male brain. Can you explain it more?
0: Yeah, certainly. I mean, this was a proposal that that uh, testosterone shapes uh, neurodevelopment uh, in the womb. And basically, the theory is, it puts out this idea, this hypothesis is that um the, that there's an empathizing brain, which is considered more female, and there's a systemizing brain, which is considered the male version. And then, if you take the extreme form version of uh, systemizing, you end up with a brain that has no empathy at all and is purely systemizing, and uh, is considered like that's the essentially autism. And, and the belief again is a testosterone underlies that uh, that neurodevelopmental trajectory, and we end up with someone who's autistic.
1: So, the importance uh, of having this type of research, Gideon, is what?
2: So first of all, I think the main uh, strength of our research is that we've built upon previous studies and we use exactly the same methods that they did. I think that it's important to know that we don't necessarily agree with everything that was done before. Uh, The claim that autistic people do not have empathy is very controversial and I will definitely not make it. Actually, we got some emails from uh, autistic people or their parents. uh, telling us that they are very happy that we've disproved uh, or maybe put some uh, doubt, doubt uh, surrounding this theory because they don't agree with this, that like, they don't have uh, empathy. The strength of this research is that it looks at what was done before, uh, very highly high impact uh, studies that were uh, published in uh, high impact journals. We used the exact same methods, but we did it much better. We did it in a much larger scale. Uh, with uh, superior methods, and uh, we basically showed that this research direction uh, has some issues that studies do not replicate in a larger sample, which uh, will hopefully direct resources into maybe more t- more fruitful directions right than the, this one
1: the, the previous studies uh, it's mentioned that uh, the, the number of subjects in those studies were in the teens, correct and, and yours was well into the hundreds
2: yeah so what happened was that a study that uh, used females not males is ours, which is also a bit problematic because when you give testosterone to females it, it is almost immediately converted into estrogen uh, So this study used only 16 females which I would uh, say doubtfully, can even find uh, sex differences in this measure. And they claim that giving females testosterone impairs their performance in this task. Now, of course, 16 people is not a lot because it gives your study very low statistical power. You cannot uh, correctly estimate true effects. And what's interesting is that several other studies that were also small basically built upon this study and tried to maybe illuminate the mechanism at work but nobody noticed that these other studies that were small scales actually failed to reproduce the original effect. And then we ended up building some kind of house of cards of a study on top of a study, right. just building upon the original result while failing to replicate it. Now, of course, the fact that the other studies did not replicate the original could also be because the studies were too small. I think the main issue here is just that when you run studies that are very small, you are very vulnerable to all sorts of influences of things that are not really related to the manipulation that you do in the experiment, in our case, was giving testosterone to people. So what we decided is to run just a very large investigation of this and maybe solve this uh, puzzle once and for all, and this is what we did.
1: Amos, how, how important do you think th- this is and, and obviously as you both have said, there are so many questions around autism still today, but how important do you think this is in, in, in especially on the healthcare side, uh, of maybe starting to gain some some further insight about some of the impacts and elements of autism and and looking potentially down the road long term of, of what we can do to help deal with it? Well, certainly, I think there's two major contributions to it. Um, I, I, we can talk a, a
0: little bit more about how difficult it is to show to get a paper published that shows no effect. But I'll talk about the, the two levels. One is, is showing that if if we believe, as a, as a scientific community, that there is an effect, that testosterone it has a direct cause to. Uh, to autism, it's going to prime us to think of even treatments or interventions that might somehow save a kid from becoming autistic. In the whole paradigm of causation between testosterone and autism, if it's if it's not true, could be quite quite dangerous. Like for example, in my wife and I just had a baby recently, and uh, if that was if it were male, I, I would be thinking, "Oh gosh, if there's too much testosterone, in my wife, I'm worried we're going to have an autistic kid." Like that that's. Not a helpful thing for people to think about, or to think that they might have been responsible for the cause of autism autism. the kid has it. Like, there's 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 a bunch of sort of non-obvious consequences of of believing in this relationship. And so, from a treatment perspective, what, what we hope is saying, look, look, we're not saying that testosterone has no effect on 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 uh, autism. As Giddy pointed out, like small samples can't show it either way. But we are demonstrating that sh- giving people testosterone does not affect cognitive empathy. Um, and so at least from the standpoint of intervention or treatment, like we don't have a whole lot to comment on it, which brings me to, to the second point, which is methodologically. The, 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 one of the biggest contributions, if we just abstract away from the actual content of what we're saying is is when we're dealing with something extremely important, such as you know of a, a condition such as autism or, or, or something like that, our methods should help us resolve the uncertainty that's inherent in the hypotheses that we present. So if we have a small study... That you know has a splashy result and published out of that you know it's published in a high impact journal, it it tends to shift public opinion and and uh, research agendas and money from the NIH towards certain pathways. And what we have shown is saying, look, if if you do it sort of quote unquote right the first time, uh, we may not go down a path that's misleading. And so you know um, I think those are the two major contributions: is saying that one again. to believe that the relationship is causal between testosterone and, and autism, we don't know that yet, and, and we should have reasons to doubt it. For reason number two, which is the me- methodology used to to demonstrate it, I think was not particularly strong and may have created some some mistakes and misbeliefs that are they're that just uh, not helpful.
2: Gideon. Yeah, I mean, we can think of the study that was published in the Lancet about uh, eight years ago about uh, vaccines, right? There was right. a study claiming yep. that there is a link between some vaccines and uh, autism, which was disproven, but still, to this date, some people who are against vaccines keep uh, reciting it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's very important to base our beliefs on solid evidence and as fast as possible, once we have an intriguing uh, research direction to verify it before we run and build an entire house of cards around it. And uh, this is what we did uh, in this case. It's sometimes not as rewarding as doing your original (laughs) research. (laughs) Uh, It's difficult to publish it. Uh, At the time, uh, I would say it was not as easy to publish this paper as uh, other papers that uh, report positive results uh, was. But uh, I'm very happy that there is a shift of paradigm in uh, science now, and there is an acknowledgement that a lot of studies that shows no effect may be just as important as a small study showing a flashy effect that is not true.
1: Almost, I, I mentioned the numbers uh, earlier that the CDC have put out about, uh, about uh, the frequency of autism in, in children. And I would think because of, uh, of how prevalent it is in today's society, th- that it... it it should not be a surprise that your research is going to get attention because of how many people are thinking about autism and how it actually plays itself out.
0: Oh, certainly. I mean, the, it has been a rising issue over time, and, and part of the reasons I think that we're having more diagnoses uh, is because there's a high, there's a heightened sensitivity to it, and in previous. Um, you know, individuals that may have not been diagnosed are now diagnosed. Like, for example, I have a second cousin who is like very clearly um, diagnosed as having Asperger's syndrome. Right. But given the the era, the era that he grew up, like he's, you know, a contemporary you know, of, my, of my mother, like that was not a, um, a diagnosis at the time. And so now, as an adult, he was finally diagnosed, like probably in his 40s or 50s, while going through a lifetime of just being, you know, quote unquote, different or feeling different and I'm sure being very frustrated. And so 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 to, to mistake that there's a rise in the incidence of autism um, that that could be a mistake there's just more sensitivity and there's more diagnosis of it and there are other conditions that have the same the same sort of pattern so um, unfortunately this paper doesn't tell us what does cause it um, right. and then I and certainly as Gideon and I is just pointing out how hard it is to publish it we're just saying with this particular facet needs to be looked at very carefully. And, of course, we wish that we, we could contribute and say this is, you know, pinpoint the cause, which would be amazing, especially if it were treatable. But that's not the main contribution here.
2: Eddie? Yeah, I think one thing we have to embrace is that is our ignorance on the topic. It's the yep. fact that we found that giving testosterone does not impair cognitive empathy does not mean that there is no association at all between testosterone and autism. But I think that before we go ahead and make claims of such association, we should see evidence. At the moment, I don't see evidence. This does not mean that evidence won't come in the future. Right. Uh, having said that, uh, a lot of the research that was uh, conducted in autism uses this paradigm and b- builds on the work that we disproved. So I think uh, we just have to embrace our ignorance and remember that we need to make decisions based on evidence and not about based on claims. One of the criticisms uh, criticism that we've seen about uh, our task is that uh, some people uh, who are authors of the original work claim that we did not really measure autistic traits. If we did not really measure autistic traits, which, which is arguable, then the original work also did not measure autistic traits. Right. And we, it leads to the same conclusion, no association.
1: You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132. Business radio powered by the Wharton School. Dan Loney in our studios in Philadelphia, along with Gideon Neve of the Wharton School. And also joined on the phone by Amos Nadler of the University of Toronto, who's a visiting professor of economics there. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 942 Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at Loney 21 So to a degree, Amos, this is... This is one piece of what could be multiple pieces of trying to pin down where the impacts of uh, of, uh, of autism are coming from. This is just one small piece in what could be many. Yeah, absolutely.
0: The challenge is uh, just challenge of doing human research, uh, which is to say that you, you can't ethically go ahead and manipulate testosterone in utero on a human. You know, that's not something that, that, that could be done. I mean, if someone said, I absolutely believe that testosterone is causing it and I'm going to test this. Well, you're not going to do it by, by like randomized controlled trials of giving w- pregnant women testosterone. Like, that's completely unethical and, and there's no grounds for that. Right. Um, there, there are, you know, there's animal models, but the, the manifestation of autism in, in animals is, is very you know that's not a, an easy analog to humans, um, and so so figuring this out is not an easy nut to crack. Unfortunately, I mean it would be great if it were, um, but but moving forward, there's there's there has been some tests in animals, like for example, just you had mentioned at the very beginning of the intro of the show that it's not just testosterone levels. it's also you know this. Uh, so-called measure of in utero testosterone, which is how the length of your fingers, the the 2 d forty ratio yeah, yeah. Is, a, is supposed to be also predicted. And so people said, okay, well, we can't do it in humans, but we can go ahead and test it in, in, in rodents. And so there's some you know, preliminary evidence showing that that uh, modulating testosterone affects the development of that digit ratio. There's also another paper not agreeing with it. Um, so, so it doesn't really tell us anything necessarily about About autism at all, and just saying, does this super popular measure tell us anything? And and there's work that looks at, as I said, you can't manipulate testosterone, but you can look at like cord blood, you can look at, um, you know, a fluid that estimates testosterone in utero, and and make some sort of association between 2D40. And that literature isn't particularly. Doesn't line up particularly well uh, in in support of that theory. Uh, That that, uh, Giddy and I have had many conversations about this. That you know what we're we're trying to do is is show uncertainty completely nakedly, like to be really honest about it. Because I mean, to be frank, neither of us have like a dog in the fight. Like we just care about what's true, and it's not important to us to support a theory in someone's name or to get citations. It's just like we're just seeking the truth at whatever cost. And I think, you know, as Giddy said, I think it was a nice understatement of how difficult it was to get this published and we a whole saga about the kind of comments we got from referees who were hmm. not um not excited about having having this theory uh take you know, this counter evidence was shown about it.
2: Yeah, I think this theory was uh, very attractive uh, maybe 10 years ago when we didn't have a lot of data and ways to analyze it and then you really had to be creative, think of something that is plausible and test it and have very strong priors. So it's true that males are more likely to have uh, autism and they're more likely to have uh, higher exposure to testosterone. So right. it made sense to go and test it. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're looking at the right direction.
1: Well, what, was, what was the original driver for doing this research in the first place, Gideon?
2: Well, we know that autism starts uh, very early in life. That males are disproportionately affected by it. It's a logical. Uh, it's a logical theory. Of course, uh, there are also sex differences in height. There are sex differences in uh, in schizophrenia. There are sex differences in many things. It doesn't yeah. mean that all of them are biologically co- caused by a prenatal exposure to testosterone. So but it's a very good candidate I would say to test any place where there is a sex difference testosterone may play a role it's a, it's a clearly a trait that uh, men and women differ in uh, I think that uh, what we've learned over the past 10 years of uh, research with maybe larger data sets uh, especially the a proliferation of uh, genetic data sets, we see that many traits uh, that humans have, have a biological basis, but this biological basis is very complex. There are many contributions of many small things, little influences of many genetic variants, maybe prenatal environment, maybe development, lots of things, and all of them have little effects that maybe eventually drive the risk to show this trait. I think that this is where we are probably going in autism and uh, in autism research. And I'm very hopeful that we're going to find more and more as the time progresses. And maybe 10 years ago, we could not have done that. So I think in many ways, uh, maybe we are a bit too harsh judging, judging this uh, original theory because at the time that, it was, uh, that, that people came out with it, this theory might have been the only way to start looking for something right it's similar to think of a drunk guy that is uh, looking for his keys under <laughs> the streetlights right yeah, right <laughs> and you ask him why do you look for it under the streetlight well no that's where the light is <laughs> he's not going to find it anywhere so that makes sense Amos, your thoughts mm.
0: um, yeah i think that the path of science um you know, there's there's a joke in economics that, that goes that, well, I try other other fields, but since that's where I come from, it's that that science adva- advances one funeral at a time, um, which means to say that the, the the power in a field tends to hold until the person you know that the senior people sort of pass along but i think that's changing which i think is very encouraging to everybody because the the rate of change i think is much faster i think we're seeing you know senior researchers more pliable more open to uh, other approaches to other theories and so it makes me optimistic um that that even the field would, would have an appetite for these for these null results because it's like like to take a few steps in a certain direction, to say, you know what, maybe we should either do a better job in the way that we're analyzing things, or take a different different look. Um, I think that that's a positive direction in science overall. I think there's a long ways to go. Um, but uh, but that's that's kind of the first thing that, that comes to mind is that what we did here was was I think set a precedent in terms of sample size. I mean, these we didn't go into a lot of the details about the experiment, but these are two totally separate samples of people. Yeah. One group is from you know the the Claremont Colleges, uh, you know a, a very good uh, set of people in terms of you know educational background and 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 so on, you might say, well, that may not be representative of the total population. These are like the top private schools, some of the top private schools in the US is okay, well we have a whole nother sample of four hundred people from, you know, northern northern Ontario, which which has a totally, you know, different genetic background, different educational background, different social values, all these other things that are that are fairly distinct. And we find the exact same result. And so what we're hoping even though we we weren't able to contribute specifically to this is what's causing this condition, we were able to say, you know, there are ways to, to suss out whether something is true or not, and, and sometimes it takes quite a bit of sacrifice to
1: do it. And, and that may be one of the important things moving forward when you're talking about trying to, to, to diagnose how ailments come about, or, or in certain instances uh, um, almost, is you have theories that are brought forward, but you still want to make sure that those theories are are correct and they are proven to be true, if they are not, then it leads us down a path where we don't want to go with some of these diseases and, and, uh, and issues uh, of not being able to cure them down the road.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could just look at medical history and some of the uh some of the methods that were used that may have had to like intuitive appeal. I mean, just I, I'm not a medical historian, but the use of leeches was something that's used because there was some yeah. logic yeah. bleeding people to get out the humors, you know, just literally poking a hole and having people bleed out to get, you know, to, to improve their conditions or, you know, removing parts of the brain that like had some, some sort of basis, some logical basis, but the execution really hurt a lot of people. So I'm not likening the extreme male brain hypothesis to like puncturing people's brains to, you know, for psychosis, but I'm saying that there's, there's kind of a pattern where I think humans at our base nature don't like ignorance, and we don't like not knowing. And if we, if we have something that possibly explains something, I think we feel better about it than having nothing that explains something. So I think there's something very natural and human about science in its, itself, and this is kind of maybe an example of the sociology of science itself and how, how it plays out.
2: You? Yeah, I think my main takeaway from all of this uh, is more about the uh, history of science le- uh, lesson. I think we should celebrate uncertainty, we should uh, communicate our lack of confidence, and we should embrace it. Uh, that's why science exists, because we don't know everything. And if we knew everything, there wouldn't be science. So let's just maybe embrace our ignorance, celebrate it. And study it better. Amos, are, are, are there next steps
1: that, that maybe you would like to look into working off of this research? Uh, the next steps
0: would be preserving the large samples. And this is something I, I know Gideon's got an, another large project that he's working on, and there's some, there's some things I'm working on as well. The things that I'm taking moving forward would be to maintain the rigor, to to you know, vet the experiment. We pilot the heck out of these things before we run them. We do p- power analysis on the sample size, and make sure that we're we're set up for success. And success isn't that we show a result. You know, um, in terms of autism specifically, I can't say that that's you know right down my my professional alleyway of, of something that I, I want to continue. Uh, to work on because there are other people who know a lot more about the specific, you know, the complexities that Giddy outlined earlier. Um, But certainly I think there's room for more experiments and and to rethink the way that we we arrive at knowledge creation in that part, I think is very, very exciting.
2: Gideon, how about you? In about 30 seconds we got left. Yeah, we want to build strong foundations and run studies that you learn from regardless of what you find. And this is an example of a study such as that. Great having you both with us. Good to see you, Gideon. Thank you for coming in. Thank you, Dan.
1: Amos, great to have you with us again. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Gideon Nave here at the Wharton School, Assistant Professor of Marketing. Amos Nadler, Visiting Professor of Economics at the University of Toronto.
0: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.